Welcome back to the Matters Podcast, brought to you by Clio, the world's leading provider of cloud-based legal software. I'm Nefer McDonald, Affinity Partnerships Manager at Clio. And I'm Jack Newton, Clio's co-founder and CEO. On this episode of Matters, we're talking about how to better understand the needs of your clients, how to truly walk in your client's shoes. To be a client-centered law firm means putting the client at the center of everything your firm is doing. And this starts with learning who your clients are on a deeper level. It sounds simple to do, but it's harder in practice. On this episode, you'll hear from three lawyers who've centered their practices around their clients and built everything outward from there. One of these lawyers, Rachel Roche, speaks about seeing the world from your client's perspective. Another attorney, Tiffany Graves, talks to Jack about how better understanding potential clients could be the key to opening up new markets for lawyers and increasing access to justice. But first, I chatted with Inti Martinez Aleman about specific techniques he uses to understand who his clients are. Inti's firm, Seba Forte, engages in business, civil, and employment litigation for predominantly Spanish-speaking clients in Minnesota and New York State. You might remember what Inti talked about during our last episode. Before he launched his firm, he first reached out to other lawyers serving Hispanics in Minnesota, and he asked them which areas of law they struggled to find Spanish-speaking lawyers to refer to their clients. When he saw which areas of legal consumers weren't being served, he designed his practice to fill that void. Now, five years later, the client-centered approach is infused into everything they do at Seba Forte. Here's Inti telling me about specific techniques he uses to serve his clients to better meet their needs. Understanding my client's story and their journey helps me gauge their tolerance for risk, how strategic we can be in a case, how viable their case can be, how well they and eloquently well they uh, enunciate or narrate their story to, let's say, uh, focus group or potentially a jury or a mock jury, understanding their makeup, how they are wired, knowing their strengths. Are they better using technology or would they rather be in person at different settings? So that's more like logistics. But internally, um, I think it's very important to know the clients or at least understand because uh, uh, generally how they are wired because I'm able to then address their needs in different ways. The same facts can affect different people in different ways. So understanding where they come from, understanding, let's say, a dialect that they speak, understanding how they got to this country can influence how they navigate the business litigation setting, for example. When you set uh, set out to understand what the client experience was like for your clients, what were some of the specific tools and tactics you used to do that? And how did you really try to unpack what, from the client's perspective, their experience with your firm truly was? Yeah, so I did it, I guess, in two phases. So first one was understanding the legal community serving Spanish speakers here in Minnesota. And so I was able to survey the land. I contacted a bunch of lawyers here in Minnesota who serve Hispanics and I was able to ask them and uh, get answers from them on what areas of law they're not able to find lawyers for their Spanish-speaking clients. So these lawyers themselves were immigration lawyers. They were 
family lawyers, criminal lawyers, and they said, hey, I can't find a business lawyer who speaks Spanish. I can't find a civil lawyer who speaks Spanish, employment lawyer, and so on. So I'm like, I like these areas of law already. So uh, I decided, so that's the first process, you know, survey the land, know what's out there, what the needs are, okay? That's general. Then the individual part. Um, so we have several tools, check, and that we use. And number one, and as soon as a client comes in, we give them uh, a drink menu. And so that helps them, uh, one, to see, well, it's a very colorful and beautiful uh, drink menu. And they are able to see options. And they're like, okay, I want to choose this. That, I guess, reduces their anxiety. They feel more comfortable uh, at ease in our, in our lobby. Then we use story cards. Story cards are um, uh, these bunch of images that we ask the client, uh, Maria, please choose one card that ref that reflects how this case impacts your life today. And first of all, at first they're like, what the heck is he trying to do? But uh, as soon as they start seeing these images, they're like, oh, I'm able to choose one. And sometimes they say, I, I couldn't choose only one, I choose five. And so they bring these cards or the card to me and then they start talking about their case. And I'm like, and we haven't even started the console, but they're here like relieving, I guess, their anxiety or their thought process and their internal makeup with me in just a few minutes, maybe like one or two minutes. I don't give them too much. And then boom, we start the consult and we, I tell them these are the five stages of the next 60 minutes. And this is what we're going to talk about. And uh, but by that point, Jack, they already share with me like not their heart, but so to speak, their heart. Uh, and that helps me understand where they're coming from, at least from an emotional perspective. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. But uh, as a lawyer, we need to be more human. We're not robots. If we were robots, then we could uh, uh, program our, uh, our competitors and the robots can do all that work. But that's not how it works, at least in 2021, maybe in the future. So, um we start the consult and then uh, I tell them about, about these five stages. Jack, this is very important. These are the five stages I tell them. Number one, I want to know who the parties are, right? And I tell them, this is like your favorite game. Uh, so it could be soccer game, football game, uh, baseball game. They give you the lineup, right? I want to know the lineup of who these actors are, who all these players are. It helps me for conflict check and Clio's amazing with the search options for that. So it's it does an amazing search for that. So second stage, tell me what the problem is, okay? Why do I want to know what the problem is uh, first? Uh, well, I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, third, I want to tell me the story behind that problem. And I like that. It sounds like counterintuitive. Why would you talk about the problem first? Like what's affecting you today and what do you want to resolve? first and then talk about the story because you would think that chronologically chronologically you want to hear the story first and then the problem but for me it helps me reduce or uh, dissect and segregate what the one two or three issues i have rarely see more than three issues um before i hear the story otherwise i hear all this 30 minutes talking and where are they going with this i have no idea but if they tell me the problem then i'm able to say wait 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 uh joe how is this related to problem one two or three and they're like oh yeah you're right so i i get them back on track 
But if I didn't know what the problem is, then <laughs> they could be there all day long talking. And then the fourth, I give them legal advice. And lastly, and this is so critical, and I learned this not the hard way, but semi-hard way. Um, I tell them, let's swap places. Now you're the lawyer, I'm the client. What are my rights? What did you learn from the consult? And they're like, okay. And so they have to tell me what they learned in the consult. And it's a quick quiz, three minutes, four minutes. And it's so important because sometimes you tell clients A, B, and C. But what they hear is X, Y, and Z. We never talk about that, but they heard all that. But that quick quiz, we swap places. And, and then they are able to do the, the lawyer thing. Like, these are your rights. These are your uh, payment plans. This is what we can do for you, timeframes, and so on. And, uh, and we end there. So as you can see, all these little gadgets, trinkets, techniques, tips, whatever you want to call it, um, help me understand the client better, help me gauge the client. And we're very selective. We don't take any and every client because we can't be everything for everyone. Love it. So one of the things I talk about in my book, The Client-Centered Law Firm, is about the importance of client journey mapping, where you really break down the entire life cycle that a client goes through with your firm and look at each stage of that cycle to consider the client experience. It sounds like you've really broken down that experience, even maybe to what they're experiencing is as they walk into the lobby of your uh, your law office and, and, and get offered a drink with with a deliberate intention of putting them at ease. And that serving as a little bit of a an icebreaker. Can, can you tell us from your perspective why it's been useful to break down the client journey into stages that you can kind of unpack one one stage at a time? I think the main one for me, well, I, I'd, I'd, I'd say two, right? One, it helps me to understand, should I take on this client or not? And if I want to take on this client, what will be my strategy? How will I approach this case? Same fact pattern, again, could affect uh, different people in different ways. And I could have a different strategy. Same fact pattern, but just because of the how who this person is and what their makeup is and their story is, I approach it slightly differently or considerably different. So that's number one. And the other is ethics considerations. Like, um, it's important for me to know if I'm competent enough, not only in the subject matter, because you can learn that, but also a, um, serving a specific uh, clientele. So, um, yes, we serve primarily Hispanics, but uh, sure, we also have clients from all walks of life and all linguistic abilities. So often it happens to be that we deal with people who have other speak other languages. And so we deal with interpreters and all that. But if I'm not able to serve them competently and effectively, I'd rather refer that client out. So knowing who they are and knowing uh, where they come from and what they're looking for helps me gauge like from an ethics perspective also if I am the right lawyer and if uh, we should engage. Okay. I love how clear and thoughtful Inti is with the techniques he uses to get to know his clients. From the drink menu to the story cards and then the five-step approach to the consultation, he really has this nailed down. And you know, Nefra, the way Inti operates shows that knowing each client and their specific needs doesn't necessarily mean that you also have to have a different approach for each person. Inti uses the same approach for each consultation meeting with a new client. 
but he's built it in a way that allows him to uniquely understand each client along the way. You're right, Jack. That means if you like having specific systems in place, you can still operate that way and be client-centered. And that's a perfect segue into my conversation with Rachel Roche, founder of Roche Legal in York, England. I wanted to ask Rachel's perspective because she's so good at serving her clients that she was selected as the Law Society of England and Wales Sole Practitioner of the Year in 2018. If there's anyone who knows about client-centered systems, it's Rachel. Here's part of our chat. What work have you done to gain an understanding of the experience your clients have before, during, and after they engage you for legal services? This is all about putting yourself in the client's shoes and trying to understand the barriers that might be there for them to engage you or, in fact, any lawyer to do a piece of legal work for them. I think when I set up my practice seven years ago, it was super important for me to make things as easy as possible for clients, but also for ourselves. And I think um, that that goes hand in hand. So creating a streamlined intake process for clients, but also looking at it from the staff's point of view, because then everything kind of works together. All the cogs are turning in the same direction. Um, and I think it should be an easy process. It should be an easy process for clients to instruct somebody. There's an awful lot of regulation that we have to abide by, but um, I think key is just to try and make it um, as seamless as possible, you know, slick systems um, and slick processes. Um, and then behind that goes into, uh, you know, we go into the human side of, of dealing with people and the service levels. Um, there's an awful lot of, of work that we can do with tech and with systems and processes, but we have to have um, empathy for our clients and um, to try and understand the challenges that they might be facing, you know, we're there to help them with, not to make it any more complicated. And, and can you talk about how you go about trying to put yourself in your client's shoes and, and actually building empathy for the, the journey they're going through? I think it's definitely a skill, you know, um, just listening to the clients and what they're experiencing um, and not, you know, doing our best not to add any more challenges to their, uh, to their plate, really. I think it, it's, I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a skill. I don't think there's any formula really. Um, you know, I think that comes with experience and with dealing with lots of different types of clients over the years um, and just doing our best, you know, we'll never get it perfect every single time. Um, but we certainly learn from every client that we have and, um, and hopefully that stands us in good stead for the future. Talk, talk a little bit about how you, have actually, and, and perfect if you can use some some concrete examples, but how have you shaped the way you deliver your legal services in response to having built that that empathy for your, your clients and the journey they're going through? So the first point of contact, the, the, the first, so we, we get a, a client coming through the door um, virtually, of course, um, you know, they want to speak to somebody because I think they want to engage with a solicitor or a lawyer that understands where they're coming from and understands what they want to achieve. So the first real point of contact that they have with us after um, 
after making that initial inquiry through the website or on the phone is a consultation with one of the lawyers. And during that consultation, we can really tease out what it is they want to achieve and what it is that's really important to them when engaging a solicitor so that we can then tailor um, whatever we're doing to making sure that at the end of the matter or the end of the process with us, that they feel that they uh, that their objectives have been listened to. Um, you know, somebody might come to us for, you don't want to get two clients coming to us for exactly the same piece of work, but ultimately they both want to get something quite different out of it. And I think it's really important for us to understand that from the beginning. What are some of the tools you've used to gain a greater understanding of your clients and deliver a better experience to them? That's a difficult question. We use, we, I guess we use quite a lot of things. I mean, these are all pretty standard things now. So we, you know, we use Clear, of course. That's great. Um, that means that we can be as efficient as ever um, when we're dealing with a matter for them. Um, we, go, we use good old-fashioned spreadsheets sometimes because ultimately that's the best tool for the job right now, depending on what it is. We don't do anything, to, to be honest, particularly izzy-wizzy, you know. Um, I think it's just a matter of being organised. And I think that's what it comes down to, just being organised and methodical and making sure that you've got you know, all the systems and processes in a logical way and so that everybody knows what they're doing um, so that there's no confusion. There's nothing worse than, you know, picking up a file or talking to a client and you don't have all the information readily available. And how as a busy legal professional do you have time to ensure that your client's needs are being met at every stage of the client journey? I think it's really it's been really important for us to have clear defined roles in our firm. So we have somebody who's in charge of uh, dealing with prospective clients. We have somebody in charge of um, onboarding those clients. And then we have the lawyers who do the actual work. And I think key for me is to make sure that everyone knows what they're doing and that the clients know who is responsible for each part of their journey. Um, that's been a game changer for us because obviously in the early days it was me doing everything and now it's not but it, because we have too many clients I wouldn't be able to do all of it myself anymore um, but having people with absolutely defined roles means the clients know what's expected of them and who's doing what and internally we all know what we're doing and who's responsible for what. You said some of the things you're doing are going back to basics, but a lot of firms still aren't doing those basics and maybe don't have some of the foundational technology pieces in place to effectively deliver a client-centered experience. Can you talk a little bit about what you see as the the table stakes and foundational technology pieces you need to deliver a client-centered experience? Yeah, so ultimately, um you know, my firm is entirely paperless. We have no paper files at all. Um, and so it's really important to us to have a solid file sharing system. Um, Clear is obviously great for that um, because everything that it does, and that is our, that is our prim primary database as well for our clients. So all the client information um, is stored in there. It, it is just that, it, that is where we go to find the information. We're not rifling through file notes or anything. Everything's in there. Um, and everyone can access everything. So if somebody is away for the afternoon and a client rings on a matter, it is just a second nature just to just to have a look and to see what uh, what's happening on the file and be able to feedback to the client um, as we need to. Um, I can't imagine going back to a system where we have paper files and have to carry those around uh, between team members. Um, I mean, the other real really basic thing we, we have is, is e-signature. You know, we send our client care letters 
um, out for e-signature and we'll get them back in 10 minutes. You know, it's it's dead easy and they're automatically filed into the system. So those kinds of things that perhaps would have been a bit of a headache back in the day, especially with everyone working remotely, are just happening um, almost you know, in the background, it's it's an afterthought now, rather than a real bugbear and something that we need to troubleshoot or something that needs remedying. You know, it's it's not an issue. Number one, I think it's impressive that Rachel's firm is entirely paperless. Number two, I'm so impressed by her commitment to providing clear roles for her staff and then communicating those roles to her clients. As she says, it's clear and methodical, but it's also tailored to her clients' needs. Now, we've talked a bit about how to walk in your current client's shoes, but what about walking in the shoes of the clients you could potentially be serving, but currently are not? That's a really important point, Nefra. In earlier episodes, we've discussed the current access to justice crisis and the concept of the latent legal market, as in all of the potential consumers who have a need for legal services, but aren't currently purchasing them. My conversation with Tiffany Graves dove further into these areas. Tiffany is an accomplished attorney, former nonprofit executive, and visionary leader with over 20 years of experience advocating for marginalized children, individuals, and families. She currently serves as pro bono counsel at Bradley, a large national law firm. I asked Tiffany about the access to justice gap and if she agrees that more lawyers need to be thinking about how they can make their legal services available to more people. When most lawyers think about the client journey, they're likely thinking about their existing clients, which means they're not often thinking about the people who don't currently have access to legal services. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. Um, You know, I think just as as humans, we think about what's in front of us. Um, And I I think that we we are certainly guilty of that as lawyers um, and, you know, lose sight of the fact that there's an entire population um, and in some states, a significant population uh, of individuals who don't have access uh, to, to, to legal services. You know, I, for 15 years, lived and practiced in Mississippi, the poorest state in the country. Um, and I can assure you um, that there were a significant number of people who did not have access to justice. Um, and I spent, you know, both the, the bulk of my career in that state trying to let lawyers know the depth and scope of need uh, and the fact that, you know, while you have clients who are, are paying for your services every day, there's a significant population of people who couldn't even afford, you know, an hour of your time, more or less, you know, full service to, to whatever legal issue they might have. When we talk about this latent legal market, that is the, the 77% of consumers that do not have their legal services needs met by the legal industry as it stands, how, how can lawyers take an exploratory approach to actually connecting with these prospective customers and starting to build client-centered solutions around them? Now, I think that's a great question. I think there's, it's, it's really an untapped resource, um, you know, particularly middle-income individuals uh, who may be prospective business owners uh, or who just, you know, may have some ability to pay for your services, but frankly are not being courted at all by lawyers and law firms because there's this assumption that they can't pay for services. Um, So I do think that there are some real opportunities in all of our communities uh, to reach out to individuals and organizations who might connect you with people 
who have some ability to pay for services uh, and can potentially be, you know, great and ripe, um, you know, prospects for your firm. In our Nashville office uh, in earlier this year, we started a black owned small business and nonprofit legal clinic. And uh, that clinic is designed to help basically emerging small business owners uh, and nonprofit uh, organization leaders. Uh, and on the business owner side, you talk about real opportunities uh, for business development. You know, we have those initial conversations with these individuals to provide some short-term legal advice that could potentially lead to this person establishing their business in the correct way um, and then potentially becoming a business client for the firm. Um, and we don't, we did not develop that clinic with the hope that it would be a business development opportunity, um, but it sure can be. And I have every reason to suspect that it will be. Uh, and that is a community of individuals uh, who we wouldn't necessarily, who wouldn't necessarily be drawn to our firm um, just because they would figure they would be priced out. And, and they would be, is the reality of it, uh, to be able to pay most of our attorneys. But by having this legal clinic and thinking about it in terms of how can we address the needs of this population, hopefully in a proactive way, um, so that they are setting up their businesses in ways that set them up for success, if they're successful. And as those businesses evolve, these folks will reach back out to the firm and say, you were great to me. You made sure I set up my LLC the right way. Now I'm established and now I'm encountering legal issues that I can actually pay you for. Um, so I think it's important um, you know, to think about issues of access in ways that not only potentially help individuals who need them and meet them where they are, but that could potentially lead to opportunities for you and your firm um, down the road. You've spent the majority of your career working to increase access to justice, civil legal aid, and pro bono legal services. By working in these spaces, what have you learned about the client journey that legal professionals working in other areas might not appreciate? I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that people don't have a good sense of what lawyers do. And I think we make a lot of assumptions as attorneys that people just sort of understand the way the legal system works. They understand the process from start to finish. You know, you bring me your legal issue and here's how it gets resolved. They understand how court systems work. They understand how lawyers interplay with one another. Um, there's a lot of assumptions that we make. Uh, and I've had very open, candid conversations with clients that I've been able to say, serve personally through pro bono, uh, that organizations I've worked with, uh, that they were clients of to say, talk to me about your experience with us. What did you think when, when we first brought you on as a pro bono client? You know, how, how the process went. And so much was it, uh, so much of what I often would hear from folks is, I had no idea what to expect. Um, and some lawyers were really good about setting out those expectations and taking the time to listen to them and be very responsive uh, as they had questions and needs. And frankly, some weren't. Um, you know, some did not spend that time uh, and weren't as attentive and weren't as, um, you know, empathetic to sort of the, the situations that they were going through. Uh, and, and all of that was valuable in terms of you know, how I wanted to build a pro bono program, how I wanted to, uh, and how I still want to make sure my pro bono attorneys know how to engage uh, with, with, with their clients. So it is very important to think about what a client's journey looks like, you know, what led them to you, what that relationship was like from the beginning, 
Uh, and I think it's also just important for lawyers to always be checking in with clients throughout the course of representation to make sure that things are progressing as they expect um, and that you're meeting their expectations. It's not just something you sort of ask at the end, you know, we got your matter resolved, I guess everything's okay, but that you're having these conversations throughout. That's what makes you more client-centered uh, more than anything and less about, okay, I'm checking off all the boxes that I need to do to get this matter filed and before a judge and resolved, but making sure that the client is okay with how you're proceeding and that you're meeting their expectations as their attorney. I'm so glad we heard from Tiffany at the end of this episode because I think she really summed it up. Walking in a client's shoes can't happen if you're too busy making assumptions about what they want or don't want, know or don't know. Exactly. That's the core of it. If you let go of assumptions and open up the lines of communication, then you can really start to see things from a client's perspective. So Jack, we've reached the end of another episode. What are you taking away from this conversation? The big thing for me is that putting yourself in your client's shoes is an intentional practice. The lawyers we spoke to all make a dedicated point of understanding their clients. They put thought, energy, and time into learning who their clients are and what kind of help they need. This isn't something that just happens without effort. You have to actively do it, preferably on an ongoing basis. Your clients and potential clients always have more to teach you about what you can improve. Thanks, Jack. That is a great note for us to end the episode on. Thank you, Nefra, and thanks to our listeners. See you next time. Thanks, Jack. This has been a presentation of Season 2 of Matters, based on the client-centered law firm, the best-selling book by Jack Newton. Matters is hosted by Jack Newton and Nefra McDonald, produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and brought to you by Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider. Be sure to subscribe to Matters wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit us at Clio.com. To read Jack's book, search for The Client-Centered Law Firm wherever you buy your books.